0: Hey, good morning. So glad you guys are here. It's a beautiful day. You could be a million other places, but you're here. So we're so grateful for that. Uh, if you're new, your first time, we're so glad you're here. Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. We have a free gift for you uh, just for being here uh, this week with us. A couple of announcements as we get started. Uh, last week, many of you guys signed up for small groups. Um, and so if you're so interested, you can go on the app and do that. Uh, we're going through all that data right now. So you got to be patient with us. It might take us up to a month. We want to make sure groups get their best chance of succeeding. So partner people together uh, that we know that will think make a great group. And so we also are still needed some facilitators or host for small groups. I know that's incredibly scary. It's really not. Uh, we Those are just people that kind of organize the group. You can meet in homes. You can meet here at the building. So if you're interested in leading a small group, we would love to talk with you. You can see me after the service or email me this week. It's Jeremy at Jeremy Shepherdsville. But we are doing that. Uh, also, Easter is not very far away. And so we have a big announcement coming up in a couple weeks about Easter. We're going to do something this year that we haven't done in a few years that we're really excited about. Great opportunity for you to invite your family, friends, and neighbors to Easter. Uh, Easter and Christmas are the easy invites. People are going to come to church, uh, so might as well invite them to one that you trust and love, and so we hope that you'll do that. And then lastly, uh, there is a group of us that are heading down to Guatemala uh, tomorrow to partner, um, to go down and visit our partnership down in Guatemala, El Reparo. For you guys that don't know, uh, our church sponsors an entire village of kids, um, down in Guatemala. And, and so what's cool about this program uh, is we provide basic education, health care, um, all this for these people, that li- these kids that live in this country that is not available to them. And so we take care of them. We love them. We support them. And so the entire village, what's really cool, and there's great programs like Compassion and all that stuff. What's cool about Hope Chest is we actually to go down and visit those kids. And so we're taking a trip uh, tomorrow, like I said, uh, but we're also going again in July. And so if you're interested in going on that, I think that every single person at some point should go on a trip uh, to a developing country like this, and you will appreciate your life so much more. The people are amazing. It's a great time. The food's amazing. And so we are leaving tomorrow. I was just told by the ladies they're going to leave my house at 3.40, and I'm like, I'm setting my alarm for five. And so, uh, so yeah, so uh, it's going to be an early one, but it is a great trip. Um, and so if you're interested in going on the next one, we'll have more information about that. So be praying for us this week as we head down to Guatemala. So uh, in the spirit of this week, it's an exciting week. Uh, There's a game tonight that I could not care less about. I hope that it ends in a tie and nobody wins. Um, You know, I told Mark, Mark's a huge Chiefs fan back there, like, it's nothing against you, man. It's just that your team is the new Patriots, and we all hated the Patriots, and so, and then the, the 49ers always beat the Packers, so I don't want either one of them to win. I mean, it's just, yeah, you just, did you just mute me? All right, I'm done. I will, if, if Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift get engaged, I'm never watching Super Bowl again. I'm just done with it. I just, I quit football. I'll sell my shares of Packers to the next bidder, okay? All right, so uh, we are talking about love. It is a love week. Uh, it's Valentine's Day this week, guys. If you don't know, that's, it's on Wednesday, so a little heads up. You might want to do something. And so uh, we're going to talk about love not only today, but in this series is all introduction for where we're going the next three weeks. The Beatles once famously told us, all you need is love. And then Tina Turner asked the question, what does love have to do with it? And turns out, quite a bit. And so when it comes to our faith, love is a word that we should be familiar with. And so we're just going to kind of explore it and the different avenues of that. And so uh, to start off, uh, you need to understand... That love is the first word that will be spoken and was spoken, and it will be the last. After all, as John, as he's kind of kind of in his letter trying to figure out how to describe God to a group of people that are just learning about God, he says, God is love. Paul, when he writes his letter to the Corinthian church, he says this in probably the most famous chapter describing love, he says this, so these three things continue forever, faith, hope, And love. And the greatest of these is love. And so just based on those couple of ideas, uh, love is a very important part of our faith and understanding God and the journey that we're all on. Now, the question comes, well, what does it look like to love? What are we talking about? Now, in our culture, uh, we have, in the English culture, in the English-speaking language, we have one word for love. Like We use love in different contexts about different things. Um, for example, um, I love you guys. Like I love our, our church. Um, I also really love buffalo wings. And hopefully in a very different context, right, between loving the people here and loving Buffalo Wings. Um, I love the Packers. I'm still really trying to love Kentucky, although it's getting harder every week. Um, You know, I love Ted Lasso, um, but I also love my wife. Now, we've got a problem if I love Ted Lasso the same way that I love my wife, right? There's, There's a huge issue there. So we take one word and try to kind of describe it amongst different contexts, Now, in the Greek language, which is where we get the Bible from, um, they had different, not the whole Bible, but the New Testament, they had different um, words for love. So they would have a different word depending on what context you're using to describe love. Uh, Depending on who you study under in the Greek language, there were seven or eight different words for love. Now, three of them we're somewhat familiar with, okay? Uh, the first one maybe you heard of is Philea, uh, which is kind of like brotherly love or friendship love. Um, this is where we get like the city of Philadelphia is named after this Greek word, the city of brotherly love. I don't know if you've ever been to Philadelphia. Um, not a lot of love. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty tough city. And uh, so anyway, so that's that one. Um, the other one we get and you know, is eros, which is like romantic love. It's Valentine's week. Um, the one that we see the most, though, and there's different interchanges of this word in the New Testament, uh, is the word agape. Agape is kind of like this universal, or we would describe it as the love of God. And so what I want to do is we kind of introduce this is start with that word, and then we'll talk about some other ones along the way. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've already started there. Paul gives us a definition of what love is like in the context of all of this. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, or maybe even in your wedding, you probably have heard these verses. Um, A lot of people like to use these verses in their weddings as they describe what love is. A good strategy for you, if you've never done this before, is every time the word love is in there, replace it with your name and see how you're doing, okay? And so love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, it does not brag, and it is not proud. Love is not rude, is not selfish, and does not get upset with others, right? Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. Some of that I need to repeat for you guys. Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices over the truth. Love patiently accepts all things, It always trusts, always hopes, and always endures. And so this is a good description of this agape love, this kind of love in the way that God sees love the way it's supposed to be. Now, if you looked at that, it's very different culturally than the way that many of us would think of love, or depending on how we've been brought up or our experiences with love, this, this list doesn't always align. But this is the starting point for the understanding of what God is talking about. What you really see in this list is that love becomes selfless in some ways it becomes less about you and more about taking care of the other person meeting the needs of the other person being patient with the other person it's this kind of enduring thing it's a strengthening thing but it's selfless in its thinking so how important is this idea Well, Jesus, um, and what we see in the scriptures a lot of times in the New Testament, the four gospels, um, is that Jesus is going around, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's doing his miracles, he's he's doing all of these things. He's basically, the the four gospels are kind of this account of this ministry, and and the four gospels are a little different uh, depending on who is writing them and who they may have been talking to and that type of thing. Um, But in this one, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is going around, he's teaching, and there's two groups of people that we see a lot of times following Jesus. Um, these are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And and these people are like the religious kind of leaders in, in that area for the temple. They're kind of sometimes referred to as like religious lawyers. They're kind of make all the checks and balances and all this stuff. And so Jesus is saying things and explaining things that are new to a lot of people. And so they're following him around, trying to catch him, try to trip him up, see what he's saying that's wrong. So in this one particular teaching... Jesus kind of silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees. And this happens a lot where they ask him questions and then he has these replies that they just don't have an answer for. So one of them, after this has happened, um, he's an expert in the law, which means he really understands the law. He says this, um, teacher, uh, which is the greatest law in commandment in the law? Now, We've explained this many, many times, but just in case you haven't heard it or you forgot. Um, when we think of the, the, the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? Okay. And you guys can't even keep those. So we don't even talk about the 613 other ones, okay? But there's actually 613 um, kind of laws or commands, okay? And so which is the greatest of these? And so Jesus replies this reply. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all of your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment, which we like for the most part. So if God exists in the way that the Bible describes him, this God of love that loves us and has done so much for us, and I know some of us are still on a journey kind of figuring out all of that, but, but this is the way the Bible describes God. Again, John said, God is love. And so if God loves us and we understand what he did through, through Jesus for us, then, then we can love God. The tricky part about this is that when it comes to loving God, and I don't know how else to say this, so I'll say it and hope you understand what I'm saying, is um, you can fake that, right? Like you can say you love God, you can show up at church, because maybe that's a measurement we use, or you, know, you, can, you can wear the shirts that say you love God, or the bracelets, or you can come and the music's kind of catchy so you can sing loud, or you, know, you might amen or nod your head, or maybe you, every once in a while you're tempted to give a little bit of money to kind of the church and, and the different causes the church supports. And, and so you can say you love God, and I'm not saying you are faking it, um, but there's really no way to like, kind of measure that if it's just about loving God. If it's just this. So Jesus, being the brilliant teacher that he is, um, he says, okay, now here's what you have to understand. It's, yeah, it's really important that we love God. But, and here's what he says in verse 39, the second is like it. Now, we're tempted to read this as if it's one, two. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not love God and then, you know, if you want to, second on the list. is It says the second is like it. Which means he's saying these these are kind of like they work together, they're kind of the same. And so you love God, and the second is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, to which we say Jesus has apparently not met some of our neighbors, right? Right? Now, I've got great neighbors. I've been blessed with great neighbors. But I've also lived in neighborhoods and stuff where you don't always have the best neighbors. And so, Jesus, he's saying, like, you've got to understand, like, this, this, we want to make it all about this relationship, but it's also about these relationships. And it's also about how we treat our neighbors. Now, again, I've described that when the gospel writers are putting together these accounts of Jesus' life, they are a little bit different. And so in the one in Matthew, that question is asked. In another account that we get in Luke, that same kind of question is asked. And the God doesn't let it end with just Jesus saying this. He then asks the question that we would all be tempted to ask in that moment well, who is my neighbor? Like, if if I have to love a neighbor, well, then who actually is my neighbor? Like, you know, and and we're tempted to do this. Like, listen, if you tell me exactly who I have to love, I can love that person if you tell me exactly who. But if it's kind of this open-ended thing where I've got to love these people and then these people and these people, it gets difficult. And and so Jesus replies to that, that question with one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read it to you, but you're familiar with this story. It's called The Good Samaritan. And in this story, Jesus broadens the idea of neighbor in such a way that it made the original crowd uncomfortable, and it probably makes some of us uncomfortable if we understand the context of that story. I mean, he broadens it so much as to who these people are that you're supposed to love. Now, he's not just talking about your physical neighbors or the people in your community or in your groups, and maybe not even in your church, but he, he broadens it so much to say, even a person that you maybe despise or don't align with, these are also people we're supposed to love, which mean can be really tough. Because at the end of the day, um, people are difficult, right? Now, The unfortunate part of that statement that some of you just nodded your head to is this. You are people, and so you are difficult, right? And no elbowing, but you know who you are. Um, You're difficult. I'm difficult. We're all difficult. And so that makes this love thing really, really hard sometimes. Now, let me go ahead and say this to save you some time. If you sometimes find yourself having a hard time creating and sustaining healthy friendships and relationships, and you find encounters with other people always unpleasant because it's always other people, um, I hate to tell you this, but there's one common denominator, and that's you. And and so here's a lesson. Let's all just stop being so difficult, right? And maybe if you were less difficult and I was less difficult, um, we'd be easier to love and it would be easier to love other people. And we can pray and just go home. Right? But it's not that easy. And so Jesus kind of keeps going in this idea. But what you have to understand is this idea of loving God, but also loving people. I mean, this was the secret sauce. This was the thing that characterized these early Christians and the early teachings of Jesus. Because they were so counter to the world that they had experienced and maybe the world that we still experience today. This was the thing that Jesus is clear about. Now, we are tempted to skip over this idea. In fact, some of you in your head, you're like, we've heard this before. We know about the idea of love. But if you think about the context of which Jesus emphasizes this. So one of the times he does this is in John chapter 13. So in this particular section of scripture, Jesus has been doing his ministry and all this. He's about to go to the cross the disciples don't really know what that means. They don't know the full kind of context of everything that's about to happen, of how much Jesus is not only going to say these words, but show how much he, he loves. And, and so he's got them gathered around. He's kind of given them these last kind of, like, kind of pointers and discourse about what's going to happen and, and what he expects of them. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. Now what's fascinating, if you've never studied the Gospels, is that that Jesus doesn't actually give a lot of commands. He clarifies a lot of the stuff from the Old Testament. He makes it make more sense. Okay, he kind kind of says, this is actually what God was actually talking about, but there isn't a whole lot of commands. But in this particular moment, he's like, I'm giving you a command. Like, this is something I expect you to do if you're going to be a follower of me, is to love one another. Now, the pushback, of course, is simple. It's difficult to love other people sometimes, right? Now, one of the things that I think that sticks out when we think about Jesus in this context is we're often, and I do the same thing, so I'm just as guilty as anybody hearing this. When I hear love other people, there are oftentimes I'm tempted to put people in a category where he says, not those people, right? I love these people, but surely Jesus wasn't talking about those people, what you find in Jesus is Jesus very rarely, in fact, I couldn't find one, but I still, I say very rarely in case it is there, of those people. Like, even the people he came in conflict, conflict with. I mean, the story of, like, Nicodemus, for example, who's a Pharisee. And yet Jesus takes the time to love this guy, to explain things to this guy. And we see by the end of Jesus' life that Nicodemus, who was in this group that was actually kind of against you, is actually one of his followers because Jesus took the time to love him to explain things. And so it's fascinating that Jesus never really gives us of those people. He just says, love one another. In fact, he goes as far as probably the hardest teaching in the Bible is he says, not only should you love one another, you're supposed to love your enemies, And then he says this, by this, by the way you love, this is how everybody is going to know that you're my follower, which is unfortunate, isn't it? Because see, I want to be known by being the follower by the t-shirts I wear. Or the bumper sticker I have on my car, or the bracelet around my wrist, or the church I go to, or the Bible verses I can quote, or what I post on Facebook, or Instagram, or Twitter, or whatever it is. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, it's not about those things. It's also not even about like your knowledge of theology. And I mean, I love theology, but in how you can interpret certain verses or how you can quote verses. The way that people will know that you're my follower is by the way you love. In fact, Paul expands on this, and we already kind of covered these chapters. We don't often read the beginning of this love chapter. We just like to get to the verses that are just kind of about like the lovey stuff. But here's what he says in the beginning of that chapter. He says this, "'If I could speak all of the languages of earth,' And of angels. Now, this is a big deal in their culture, um, this idea of being able to like, speak in tongues and doing these different things. And, and so he's kind of hinting in that. But that was like a gift that certain people had. He says, even if you have that gift and you can understand all the languages of the earth and you can have all this wisdom and even uh, of the other language, the heavenly language, but you don't love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, Okay, and this is, again, a big deal in their culture, and even in some circles today, this idea of prophecy, being able to tell what's about to happen because of these inspirations by God, or just kind of assessing things. If if I had this gift, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all of the knowledge, like, there's a lot of knowledge, if I possessed it all, people all the time are like, have Bible questions, and I'm like, I don't know, like... (laughs) I haven't. I mean, I've read the whole thing, but there's a lot of tricky stuff in there, right? And even if I possessed all of the knowledge, which I don't, trust me, and I had faith that could even move a mountain, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't do it out of love, I just did it out of this obligation or maybe this place of like wanting other people to see how great I am, I would have gained nothing. And so Paul is even like kind of reiterating what Jesus is saying is being like, look, this is, this is about love. This is how people are going to know. This is, this is what they care about. When the first people who followed Jesus gathered together, the initial Jersey—I to said Jersey—the Jewish con—it's not Jersey—Jewish converts and all of the Mediterranean rim and all these different people, and then eventually broke off into the Gentile people and the Greek people and the Roman citizens, and they would gather together in synagogues, and eventually they gathered in homes, and then eventually they eventually got to the place where they were gathering together in what we call churches. This is what drove them. They had different worldviews on certain areas. They had different understandings, different understandings of the law. They had different access to these understandings and teachings. But this filter of this understanding of Jesus and who he was and what he asks of us to love God and to love each other, this became the filter that eventually changed the world. In fact, John, as we've already said, one of Jesus' closest uh, followers, um, he he writes some some letters towards the end of his life, and and he's considered one of the early, obviously, leaders in the church. And when he's writing these letters, he says this in in 1 John chapter 4. He says, "'Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love.'" God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, and here's the key, okay? This is the starting point. Since he loved us that much, yeah, since he loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. It's the understanding. See, if you just tell me to go love people without a context of the reason that I love people is because God loves people and the context is gonna be simply, oh, I can love those people because God loves those people, but the only way I can even get to even that point is by understanding how much God actually loved me. How much, listen, how much God has put up with in me. And I know some of you, he's put up with a lot, Yeah. See, here's what I understand. All of us get a choice in whether or not we want to follow Jesus. That is a choice. But once you do decide to follow Jesus, you don't get to decide what that looks like. And he makes it abundantly clear. Not only him, but also his early followers. You have to love One of the things I'm learning is this: it's incumbent upon us to love, even when it's hard to love. And here's the thing. In this next statement, some of you aren't going to like, but let me go ahead and say it. Um, You can email me later. Um, There's a misnomer in the American church and in circles nowadays, and it gets spread in places, that in order for us to have influence in our culture, we have to have power and acceptance. And that is a belief that I'm going to go ahead and tell you is not biblically defensible right? Listen, our faith in Christ and our influence on the world around us is not dependent upon political power or cultural control. In fact, history is actually contrary to that. Our ancestors in the faith that set up these steps that we're still, that we're on their shoulders, they were oppressed. They faced adversity. I mean, they faced adversity that you and I could not even believe. And this is what stirred them on. It was actually like they rose to the occasion. Their faith was strengthened because they could not lean on their own understanding, on their own strength. They had to lean on something else, and it drove them to this. I mean, they faced adversity, scrutiny, and even persecution, and yet we still see throughout history, even in all of that, this movement of love that arises even in those things. To me, this becomes a part of spiritual maturity, The part where you're depending on the spirit of God working within you to love even when it's hard. The love that we speak of when we think of the love of God that God is also asking us is completely something other than what most of us have been defined or understood in a cultural way. So about 25 years after Jesus has left the earth... um, The church is starting to spread kind of in this Mediterranean region and different parts of it. And even within the context of the city of Rome, they're starting to become a movement of Christians. Now, what we've always talked about is that everything you read in the New Testament, so a great place to start is like the book of Acts to understand the history of how the church kind of gets going. Um, All of that takes place within the Roman Empire, this massive empire that, that rules the world. And here's what you understand. It was incredibly difficult to be a Christian in the Roman Empire, For several reasons. And it was even more difficult to be a Christian within the city of Rome. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen. He's also Jewish. And so he has this kind of leaning towards these people that are facing this adversity in Rome. And he actually pleads and asks to go to Rome several times, and it doesn't always work out. And eventually going to Rome will be part of his undoing um, here on on this life on earth. But, But in this context, he sees and hears this persecution of these Roman Christians. I mean, they are facing adversity. They are facing things. I mean, maybe you've heard of things like Nero Circus. I mean, it was a way of persecuting Christians, feeding them to lions, lighting up them uh, as torches, covering them in wax and lighting them up at his garden parties, chasing them throughout the city. I mean, he goes as far as to burn down half of Rome to blame it on the Christians so everybody will hate the Christians. It did not go well for this guy. But anyway, um, it's all of this crazy stuff. And so they're in an incredibly difficult season and place to actually love. But Paul writes them this letter encouraging them. And when I read what he writes them in this letter, and it's a fascinating letter to the book of Romans, but this one part in particular, in Romans chapter 13, it says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Isn't that fascinating? With all of the trouble, all of the problems, all of the things that they face, and here's what he says. The only debt, like you do have a debt, The only debt you need to worry about is the debt of continuing to love one another. Because you understand how much God has loved you. And so, even though you're facing persecution and adversity and all of these things that none of us would sign up for, you still love. Love each other, you love these people. And then he says this, and this is the part where, for them, would have been a shocker. For us, we just kind of read over it, whatever. But he just says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Whoever loves others, I mean, all of that stuff we worry about, of, did we get it right, did we do it right, did we make enough you know, marks on the checklist, all, listen, all of that stuff, if you can just love to learn others, you fulfilled it to love your neighbor as yourself. This idea changed Rome. It changed the world at that time, and it's still changing the world today. I mean, how powerful this idea of loving one another, how simplifying and also clarifying it is, but it's also scary, isn't it? To love people. One of the things that that I'm seeing is I read the scriptures and there's a lot there and it can be confusing at times, but specifically in the New Testament, one of the things you see is this idea of love one another and love your neighbor and and how we love ourselves, love the people around us, even in the hard things. Um, But what we see is that scripture kind of becomes commentary to some degree on how we do this, on how we actually love God and live a life that's worthy of what he's called us to, but also how we love other people. So many times scripture is used and manipulated in times in ways to justify unloving people. And that's not what it's there for. Listen to what Paul even says. This is is one of those statements before we put it up. This would have been a shocking statement in their culture. First thing, um, if you're under the age of 16, your parents can explain this part to you later. I'm not going to. Second part, you don't understand how big of a categorical thing this was. So here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. To which you're like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Now here's what it's talking about. In their culture, circumcision, this is basically the way of saying like Jew and Gentile. Okay? It, these were their categories. These are the categories they put people in. And so he's like, whether you are this or you're this, like we're not talking about the value that any of that has. And then this is how he ends it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you don't hear anything else that I say today or in the rest of this series, listen to what Paul just said. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul will go on to write many ideas in his epistles, ideas of submit to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear with one another, and carry one another's burdens. These are all simply ideas of how we love people, how we meet the needs of people, this sacrificial love. The command is love each other as I have loved you. Imagine a world were people, even skeptical of what we believed, but were envious of how we treated each other. Skeptical of the words and ideas that maybe they hear from a stage, but envious of the fact of how much we're able to love people. This was a once upon a time cultural clash that changed the world. It changed the world for so many people. Women, children who had very little rights and values in that culture. It changed it for them. The economically disadvantaged, the social outcasts, this idea changed the world for them. And what was true of them should be true of us today. Everybody wants to be one another, and everybody wants to feel included in a community, and everybody wants to feel loved. And so, what if we just did that? Now, there is a counter to love. It's actually a counter that I think keeps most of us from actually embracing these ideas and actually believing these ideas and living these ideas out. See, we've been taught that the counter to love is hate, but that's actually true. There's another counter that keeps most of us from fully embracing this idea. And the counter is not hate. The counter to love is fear. It's fear. See, see, fear keeps us from embracing ideas sometimes. See, there, there's this fear. And, and see, we're, we're, fear, we're fearful of what happens next. Like, if we embrace this idea, what happens next? Or we have the fear of being rejected, that, you know what, I might love that person, but what if they don't love me back or accept me back? Or some of us, we have this idea that if we started loving the way that God wants us to love, like... We might feel out of place at times because nobody else does this. And so we might feel like we get isolated or rejected or alone. We have the fear of getting it wrong. We have the fear of putting ourselves out there. But do you know the real problem for a lot of us is human beings, and we are such interesting clods of dirt and clay and air, is this and this. We fear what we don't know. And we fear what is uncomfortable. We fear what we don't understand. We fear what is different, and so it pumps the brakes on us actually being able to love, because we may encounter people that are different, have different values and ideas, cheer for different teams, which is a big deal around here, right? But what if we believed it was love, not fear that gets the last word? Would that change things for us if we knew it was love that lasts, love that overcomes all. In 1 John chapter four, <clears throat> this is what he says. Where God's love is, which I'm hoping and praying is deep inside the hearts and minds of us because his spirit lives inside of us. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out Fear. So whatever fears you have, where God's love is, there's no fear. So some simple questions as we wrap up. What would happen in your marriage if you loved like this? What would happen in your family? What would happen in your neighborhood, in your school, your workplace? And imagine if enough of us actually learn to actually love like this and to live like this, what kind of difference could be made in the world that we live if we just learned to love? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. And God, I know that those words are challenging words. Um, They're hard words. Um, But for me, and I hope for us, the understanding is the reason we love is because we have a deep knowledge of how much you've loved us. In spite of of some of the flaws that we have and the mistakes that we've made and the things that we've done, your word says that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, that you loved us, while we still weren't getting it right, while we still couldn't have, and we still can't do anything to earn it or deserve it, that you loved us, that you showed us what love is, this sacrificial love. And God, I know that that's scary for some of us to think about what that would look like and how that would be... um, implied in our lives and the people we may have to love or the groups we may have to love but God my prayer is that that your spirit lives within us and it gives us the strength and the wisdom to know what to do and how to do this that we take the example of you not of each other but of you uh, of how we do this and so God I just pray that as we talk about this over the next couple weeks that, that we embrace this idea of what it means to love and understanding that you first loved us and showed us what that was like So Father God, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen.